0: You're listening to Colorado Edition from KUNC. I'm Jocelyn Mesa Miranda. Thanks for joining us. It's Friday, December 23rd. Some Colorado lawmakers are upset with the state's new Office of Gun Violence Prevention. Legislators created the office almost two years ago. They said it would save lives by focusing on things like firearm safety and using the state's new red flag law to take guns away from dangerous people. But KUNC investigative reporter Scott Franz has found the office has done little of that work and lawmakers have questions.
2: Colorado has invested more than $3 million in the Office of Gun Violence Prevention since it launched in 2021. Most of that money was intended to fuel a grant program to help communities prevent gun deaths, But records show the office has yet to distribute a single grant dollar in the last 18 months. Personally, I feel like we've moved a little bit too slowly. Representative Jennifer Bacon is one legislator wondering what's taking so long. She led efforts to create the office hoping it could reduce shootings in her northeast Denver district, especially ones involving children. Bacon says she wanted to give the office more money last year, but it wasn't ready to spend it yet. Unfortunately, when you see this kind of pace, you question how important is the topic, you know? And, you know, why isn't there the urgency that we hope to see? Bacon says she has also been trying to get an appointment to talk to the leaders of the office about the delays, but she hasn't been successful. It is obvious to a lot of people that we're behind So we're just trying to do our part to to figure out why. Jonathan McMillan has been leading the office since May, but his name and photo still aren't on the agency's website, and he's had few public appearances. He did talk about criminal justice reform at the University of Colorado last month. We need to make sure that we're focused on the human condition that is creating the circumstances that people commit crimes, especially violent crimes, to themselves or others. But outside of a few appearances, McMillan is keeping a low profile. KUNC asked to interview him when he started, but his staff said he wasn't ready. When we reached out again last month in the wake of the club Q shooting, we got another no. The office said the interview would be outside of its purview. State representative Tom Sullivan created the office with representative Bacon. He's also frustrated by the lack of public outreach. It's not the time to be, uh, you know, staying in the background. It's the time uh, for the leaders to get out in front of this issue and, uh, you know, confront it and uh, let the people know that uh, uh, what what our plans are. Sullivan says the office should be doing more to promote the state's red flag laws. He's wondering whether it could have been used to take guns away from the suspect in the Club Q shooting. When instances like this happen and they can be prevented, of course, we're not moving fast enough. Sullivan and Bacon announced the Office of Gun Violence Prevention in response to the mass shooting at a Boulder King Supers. They predicted it would be so successful, it would serve as a model for other states. But that too has failed to materialize. Illinois launched its own gun violence prevention office the very same month as Colorado, and it's already accepting applications for hundreds of millions of dollars in grants. Now some Colorado lawmakers, including Meg Froelich, see Illinois as the model. We certainly are still in a ramping up phase. I think that's disappointing, perhaps, in its slowness. (laughs) We've seen it go get up to speed a little bit quicker in other states. But, of course, other states have year-round legislatures, too, and, and... more appropriated funds and things like that. As the office's two-year anniversary approaches, lawmakers are vowing to publicly question its leaders about its slow pace. They'll have a chance to do that in January, when every government agency faces accountability hearings at the state capitol. In the meantime, gun violence continues all around the state, including in Jennifer Bacon's district. It's not just the mass shootings. Lost two children in my district to gun violence in the last month. So it's, it's, it's all the time. Records show the Office of Gun Violence Prevention has spent about $220,000 of its $3 million budget since it was created. Most of the money has covered salaries, new computers, a planning contract for a resource bank, and consulting fees for a communications specialist. I'm Scott Franz.
0: The Ogallala Aquifer is a vast underground water supply that lies beneath eight states, including parts of eastern Colorado. Many farmers on the eastern plains depend on it as a reliable source of water to irrigate their crops. But the aquifer is drying up. K1C's Ray Solomon asked what that means for the future of agricultural communities in the area.
1: Picture a bathtub. But like a bathtub with a really jagged bottom. So that when you pour the water in, it doesn't fill evenly. Rather, it forms pools here and there in the crags and pits. Now take that bathtub and make it huge. Like 175,000 square miles huge. Stretching from Texas to South Dakota. Okay, and now bury it all deep underground. That is the Ogallala Aquifer, a vast but uneven reserve of fresh water stored under the earth.
2: These are all my sprinklers. Let me get them out.
1: And that's Ruben Richardson, a farmer who lives on top of that vast reserve of fresh water in Yuma, Colorado. His 45 high-capacity wells tap into the aquifer. They feed water to 58 sprinklers that irrigate his cropland. And he monitors it all on his phone. You got a sprinkler out. Oh, yeah. All these are ours. Wow, okay. It's harvest season, which means Richardson is in the cab of his combine from sunup to sunset. The corn he's cutting right now drank aquifer water all season long.
2: Five, five bushels a second is what's coming out of that right now.
1: Some 90 percent of the Ogallala Aquifer is used for agriculture. It transformed the high plains from dust bowl into highly productive farmland. I need to take these turn rows out on the southern end. But it was a long, hot dry summer. You can see it in Richardson's corn crop. The yields are off. He had to pump a lot more water than usual this year just to produce a crop in these drought conditions. But the current drought is only exacerbating an already tough situation. The aquifer water has been over allocated for decades.
2: It's obvious we got a problem here. We're pumping it out quicker and it's being replenished.
1: Megan Shipansky is an associate professor at Colorado State University and co-director of the Ogallala Water Coordinated Agriculture Project. She says the underground water won't be there forever.
0: That water is a non-renewable resource.
1: Today, the aquifer in eastern Colorado is down about 30 percent from where it started. It's not as if the declining aquifer is an existential threat to agriculture on the high plains. Farmers will always work the land, but there will be dramatic changes. Many irrigated fields will become dryland farms, and that's a huge hit to profitability. Many others will revert to prairie rangeland, an even less profitable proposition.
0: And as water becomes more scarce, that will definitely strain the rural economies.
1: And when you strain a rural economy, that can change the landscape
0: to maintain profitability in dry land scenario versus irrigated requires a larger farm size. And so what we're probably looking at is fewer farmers on the landscape.
1: There's one more coming up. These are the turn roads, they're always difficult. Ruben Richardson sees the writing on the wall. He believes fewer farmers on the landscape would lead to fewer people in the town.
2: Dry land is not gonna sustain this community. Yeah, there'll always be a, a town here, but it'll be considerably smaller. So you're talking about homes, the values of homes going down. You're talking about the hospital tax base. You're talking about
1: schools. Yuma, where Richardson Farms, generally sits on deeper pockets of water than neighboring counties to the south. Most of his wells have several decades of water left in them. But he has already retired one low-producing well, and a second one had to be redrilled when the water table dropped too low. Richardson says it's not uncommon.
2: It's kind of like you got cancer and how many more days you got to live. I mean, it's, it's kind of a morbid thought.
1: He has a 23-year-old son, Riley, who came back to work on the farm last year after finishing college. He and his siblings hope they can take it over one day.
2: I mean, I've been driving tractors since I was eight years old. I kind of got tossed into it. I mean, that's all I've ever really known
1: but neither the older nor the younger Richardson knows what will be left of that farmland and their farming community in the future.
2: It's always something.
1: Ray Solomon, KUNC.
0: This story is part of the America Amplified initiative. America Amplified is a national public media collaboration focused on community engagement reporting. That's all for today on Colorado Edition. Thanks for listening. The Colorado Edition podcast is posted every Friday. Just hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. If there's a story you'd like to hear, send us an email at coloradoedition at k1c.org. Our theme music is composed by Colorado musicians, Brianna Harris and Johnny Burroughs. Other music in the show by Blue Dot Sessions. I'm Jocelyn Mesa Miranda.